joy. Unlike happiness, joy is gladness that is completely independent of the good or bad things that happen in the course of the day. In fact, joy denotes a supernatural gladness given by God's Spirit that actually seems to show up best during hard times. This is a product of fixing your focus on God's purposes for the events in your life rather than on the circumstances. Question. Are you experiencing a joy of life on a regular basis? Or is your happiness dependent on things going smoothly in your day? Join us today as your lead pastor shares joy when life is a struggle. The power to have a heart of joy is made possible through the Holy Spirit, but we make a daily conscious choice to draw on His power and strength. It's good to be back. I spent this past week in Massachusetts uh, visiting with a lot of friends and family. It's good to be back here with you. Uh, And as we continue going through this sermon series on growing up in Christ, uh, I just ask, I invite you one more time, if you would, to pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning and this day. And God, my simple prayer is that your joy, the joy of the Lord, would be contagious in this place, that you would challenge us, open our eyes and our ears to hear from your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the year is around 62 AD. Okay, you get, I want you to get in that place. It's 62 AD. The Apostle Paul is in a musty, smelling room, seated on a dirty floor and chained to a prison guard. He has a f- very few freedoms, rare bathroom privileges, very limited visitation rights, foul food, and failing health. Yet the guard peers over his shoulder and sees Paul write these words. He's he's writing to a church in Philippi, and he's writing these words, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. So it makes you ask this question, well, what is this guy's gigantic secret? I mean, is he crazy, or is maybe he's had one too many beatings by the hands of the prison guards, and he's lost his mind? I mean, if you were in his sandals, how would you feel? You're there in prison in these horrible conditions, and you can, with a clear conscience, write those words. Some of you are saying to yourselves, are you kidding? I'd be miserable. I mean, today, just on my drive to church today, I've complained about the weather, the kids taking too long to get ready, my parking spot out there in the lot, and the way my body aches today. Joy is not necessarily at the top of my list today. And the question goes out to you, well, how is it then that someone with much worse conditions than what we experience on a daily basis, how can he have that joy? How can he rejoice while we complain? I mean, is he faking it or is there something else going on here? Is there something genuine that's happening? Today, I invite you to follow along with us in this message. I'm going to be spending a lot of time in the book of Philippians So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians 4. The text will be on the screen as well. But in Philippians 4, we're going to start at verse 4, and we're going to work our way straight through verse 13. And verse 4 starts off by saying this. The Apostle Paul is saying those words that we just referenced. He's saying, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. There's a paraphrase of the Bible. We call it the message. It's a loose translation, and the message renders it like this. It says, celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in him. From an earthly perspective, you see, Paul should have been the last person on earth to have joy. 
his circumstances were terrible. He had lots of reasons to be gloomy, yet he discovered this gigantic secret, and it made all the difference. So I'm going to spare you the suspense today. Hear me talking about this secret over and over again. I'll spare you the suspense. We're going to get right to it, pens in hand, ready to take some notes on this. Here it is. Here is the secret that he had. Joy is a decision that you make each and every day when you wake up. That's it. It is a decision. It's a conscious one that we need to make each and every day when we wake up. From the outset, let me reiterate that you cannot live a life of joy on your own. It, can't, it really can't be done. In the flesh, you and I can't have that joy day in and day out without some kind of supernatural intervention. It's simply unsustainable. Uh, we all know how the real world works. We know how our lives work. It, it doesn't function that every day keeps getting better than the previous one. It's simply unsustainable unless we have supernatural intervention. The power to have a heart of joy is made possible through the Holy Spirit. We make that daily conscious choice to draw on his power and strength, not our own. Great example of this is Joni Erickson Tata. Many of you have heard of her before. She's a great example here. A careless dive into the shallow waters at age 17 left her a quadriplegic. She has an amazing story an amazing testimony, and she was giving an interview to a magazine. Uh, this, is this is what she said. Here's an accounting of how Joni Erickson Tata experiences joy in her life. Let me read to you her words. She says, honesty is always the best policy, but especially when you're surrounded by a crowd of women in a restroom during a break at a Christian women's conference. I'm going to take her word for that. One woman Putting on lipstick said, oh, Joni, you always look so together, so happy in your wheelchair. I wish I had your joy. Several women around her nodded. How do you do it, she asked, as she capped her lipstick. Gentlemen, apparently there's more conversations that happen in women's restrooms than ever happen in a guy's restroom. But here's the conversation. She says, I don't do it. In fact, may I tell you honestly how I woke up this morning. This is an average day. After my husband, Ken, leaves for work at about 6 a.m., I'm all alone until I hear the front door open at 7 a.m. That's when a friend arrives to get me up. While I listen to her make coffee, I pray, oh Lord, my friend will soon give me a bath, get me dressed, sit me up in my chair, brush my hair and my teeth, and send me out the door. I don't have the strength to face this routine one more time. I have no resources. I don't have a smile to take into the day, but Lord, you do. May I have yours? God, I need you desperately. One of the ladies asked, so what happens when your friend comes through the bedroom door? I turn my head toward her, and I give her a smile sent straight from heaven. It's not, it's not mine, it's God's. And I said, gesturing to my paralyzed legs, whatever joy you see today was hard won this morning. What an amazing testament to the source of this woman's strength and truly the source of her joy. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. 
So this series that we're in right now is called Growing Up in Christ. Today I want to talk about some practical ways to grow up and live with the joy even when life is a struggle. Because let's be honest, if this sermon were about experiencing joy when each day keeps getting better than the previous one, that would be a really easy sermon to preach. That would be a quick sermon. It's easy to have joy when life is like that. But when life is a struggle, when things are difficult in your life, when you're facing trials, when you're going through months at a time, years at a time, of facing real struggle in your life, that's when we need to learn more about this joy that we experience as we grow up in Christ. The, the text that we're focusing on today is found in Philippians 4, but the text that this whole series is anchored in is from Galatians chapter 5, where we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. And really, that's a metaphor, isn't it? The fruit of the Spirit is a metaphor. Those nine attributes that we're walking our way through this summer is a metaphor for the outpouring of what happens in a Christian's life. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, there are certain evidences of, evidences of that that shine through the life of a Christian. Joy is one of those. So today we're going to talk a lot about what happens when you experience joy and your life is in a struggle. So the first point that I have here, if you're taking notes in your outline, is to keep your eyes focused more on eternity than the present. Philippians 4, 5, we're going to keep walking through Philippians 4 in this section here. Philippians 4, 5 tells us, let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. You see, when life gets rough here and you feel like Christians are ridiculed, you feel like your faith is challenged at work, maybe you feel like your health isn't what you want it to be, turn your attention to eternity. Paul says that the Lord is near, and it's true, Jesus' second coming is, is near. But can I tell you, it's also true in our day-to-day. In our everyday, God is near. The presence of Christ is with us. That's kind of what the whole concept of Emmanuel means. To go back to a Christmas message we had a while back. Emmanuel means God with us. And Paul's reminding us of that, that the Lord is near in our everyday. Jesus is the most joyful being in the universe. You see, your view of Jesus Christ determines a lot about the way that you live. I'll tell you a story. In the year 1514, going back a few hundred years, a sensational forgery was published in Venice, Italy, purporting to be a description of Jesus Christ by one Publius Lentulus. This Lentulus was said to have been uh, the Roman procurator of Judea either before or after Pontius Pilate. The Lentulus family was indeed prominent in ancient Rome, and one member actually became the governor of Syria 60 years before Christ came. This Lentulus, however, he he never really existed, though, except in the devious mind of some medieval perpetrator of hoaxes. Nevertheless, this forged document made its way throughout Europe and has been widely circulated even to, to present day, believe it or not. It was titled, The Epistle of Lentulus to the Roman Senate. In the following description, I'm going to read this to you, it describes Jesus of Nazareth in that letter. Uh, Just a little preview, I'm going to read this here. It's amazingly poetic. And uh, just let it play out here. This is what it says. In the Epistle of Lentulus to the Roman Senate. 
He's a tall man, well-shaped and of an amiable and reverend aspect. His hair is of a color that can hardly be matched, falling into graceful curls. Parted on the crown of his head, running as a stream to the front after the fashion of the Nazarites. His forehead high, large and imposing. His cheeks without spot or wrinkle, beautiful with a lovely red. His nose and mouth formed with exquisite symmetry. His beard of a color suitable to his hair, reaching below his chin, parted in the middle like a fork. His eyes bright blue, clear and serene. That's how this Lentilist describes Jesus Christ in a fictitious way. In the next paragraph, though, in the next paragraph, it appears a statement that has evidently had a stronger impact on the church than we realize over the last few hundred years. It, it has further exercised considerable influence over Christian art and really over, over how we view Christ and how we view ourselves. The statement reads, No man has seen him laugh, speaking of Jesus. So you have this exquisite description of Christ, and then it culminates in the next paragraph with, no man has seen him laugh. And the, the implication there is that Jesus never laughed. It implies that humor had no part in his life. And, well, we as followers of Christ should presumably have no part of it in our lives. Well, that's ridiculous, right? Uh, this fraudulent document by the so-called Lentilists, besides being ridiculous, is also theologically unsound. The Orthodox doctrine since the Council of Chalcedon in 451 has contended that Jesus Christ, and pay attention here, is fully God, but he's also fully human. And that has big ramifications. That has enormous implications for how we understand Jesus Christ. I mean, how can Jesus be fully man without laughing at some of the things that happen in life? I mean, think about it. He had 12 disciples. So you have a total of 13 men traveling together for three years at least of public ministry. There is no way that there weren't some pranks pulled amongst those 13 guys in three years living together. Of course there were some funny moments. There were moments of levity. I'm sure one of the disciples is trying to skip a rock in the Sea of Galilee and tripped and fell in the water, something along those lines. You know that there were some funny moments. But even if you think about it logically, if, if Jesus wept as we read in Scripture, then he also laughed. The record shows that he lived with outlandish joy. Laughter is a part of the kingdom of God after all. Here's what I believe. I believe that Christians should laugh harder and love stronger than anyone else. After all, for the Christian, their past has been forgiven and their future has been settled. Let me say that again. For a Christian, your past has been forgiven and your future has been settled. Is there anything else in life that is more joy-producing than knowing that truth? For the Christian, we should be the most joy-filled people on planet Earth. We have a Redeemer who has saved us by His grace and, and allow that truth to wash over you for just a moment. For a Christian, your past is forgiven. Your future is settled. That is incredibly joy-producing, and that knowledge allows you to go through life with joy because your focus is on eternity. 
If we want this joy, if we want to get in on that, it's a decision that we'll make each and every day when we wake up. uh, Read you a psalm that actually Alan already quoted this morning. Uh, It's from Psalm 118, verse 24. It's turned into one of the more famous children's hymns, children's praise songs that we know of. Psalm 118, 24 says, This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. God did not gift me with the gift of singing, so I won't do that to you. But many of you are singing that children's song in your head right now. But you know what that psalm doesn't say? It doesn't say, yesterday was the day the Lord had made. That was a great day, wasn't it? That psalm does not say that tomorrow is the day the Lord will make. We'll be glad when tomorrow gets here. The psalmist says, today. Today, right now, this moment that we're in, this is the day that God has made. And that should produce in us an unspeakable amount of joy. Now, we're in Saratoga. And that, I mean, I believe it's this Friday, right? This Friday is the beginning of racing season. Am I right on that? Yes. So this Friday, the whole world is going to be coming here to Saratoga. Their airplanes, their private jets are going to be literally flying over my house as some of them did at 1 o'clock this morning. Why was that? Why was that? I'll blame that on Dave Matthews. But the, the, the whole world is going to be coming right here to our doorstep. And I want to ask you this. I mean, wouldn't it be great if you could ride in a limousine to be escorted to opening day on the track with box seats? Right? That would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Well, I want you to think about it. It would kind of depend on where you're going. Are you going with your spouse, heading to an opening day party with close friends? Pretty good. Or are you in a funeral procession, heading to a cemetery for your own burial? That's drastically different limo ride, right? But I don't want you to miss this. I want you to hear me on this. I contend to you that if you are a committed follower of Christ, you could experience joy in either of those circumstances. Keep that eternal perspective. Another way to be practically joyful in life is the second point here is to do more thanking than worrying. Do more thanking than worrying. We're going to continue on here in Philippians 4. We're going to move to verse 6. Verses 6 and 7. It's a great text that many of us know. We've committed this to heart. And it's a great passage that we come across when we need joy in our lives. So let me read this to you. Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That very familiar passage to many of us, it reminds us to take our problems and worries to him, In prayer, God gives you his peace, which in turn leads to joy. And Paul is encouraging this church in Philippi here not to get so caught up with the storyline of their lives that they forget all about joy. Oh, that has happened to me more times than I care to remember. I get so caught up in my own storyline, the tyranny of the moment, the things that are not going well in my life, that I lose that perspective and I do more worrying than I do thanking God for what he's blessed me with. 
It's a challenge, really, to keep perspective and don't lose your joy despite the storyline of your life. After all, if you already have the eternal perspective, you know how the story is going to end. If we're real serious about walking in the Spirit, then we've got to remove this woe-is-me attitude. And that, that is contagious as well. Just as contagious as joy is, the woe-is-me attitude is equally as contagious. Woe is me. I never get a break from the boss at work. Woe is me. Woe is me. You know what? Everybody else was speeding. Why am I the one that gets pulled over? Woe is me. My life hasn't turned out the way that I planned it 20 years ago. Woe is me. These types of people are the ones who brighten up a room by leaving it. <laughs> right? Don't be that guy. Don't be that gal. You, you, don't want, you don't want that to define who you are. Keep perspective. There's a gentleman named J. Russell Morse. He was a missionary over 30 years ago, primarily in communist-dominated areas. Several years before he passed away, he was interviewed by a respected leader in his denomination. This is a guy who spent 18 months in confinement in China. Fifteen of those were spent in solitary confinement. That's, that's a hard reality. That's a hard thing to wrap your mind around. And one day, a number of soldiers suddenly surrounded his house with machine guns, bayonets, and revolvers. And he knew what that meant. They said, come with us. We have just a few questions that we want to ask you. And he saw where this was going, but he asked. He said, well, can I bring some bedding and some clothes with me? Their reply was, oh, no, no, you don't need to worry about that. You'll probably be back home in a few days, but in the meantime, we'll provide for you. He saw where this was going. Brother Morse said, as I was being taken away to this prison with the armed guards in the car with me, I realized that there was nothing I could do. So I prayed. Out of the many hundreds of scriptures I'd memorized while I was in high school and college, a passage from Philippians 4 came to me. Now, hold on. Interesting side note here before I read to you what uh, finishes quote. I hope you didn't lose sight of that. When he was just a young man, high school and college, this is someone who memorized not just Psalm 118.24. This is the day the Lord has made. He memorized hundreds of passages of Scripture. That's profound. I believe that can speak to us here today. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, he was a missionary. That's different. No, no, this is a calling of all of us, is to commit the Word of God into our hearts and our minds. Scripture memorization is something that we, we're all too quickly losing sight of the importance of. And as Brother Morse needed a passage of Scripture to help him in his time of imprisonment, he had it. It was right there because he committed it to memory. So he says that Paul himself had been a prisoner, just like him, and he said, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. In nothing be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Then Brother Morse said, you know, if there was ever a time that it was humanly impossible to rejoice and to not be anxious, it was then, in the times that followed for me, 
But I, I took that as my golden text for my imprisonment. What an inspiration that is and a good challenge for all of us to keep the word of God in our minds. You see, J. Russell Morris found that peace in Joy that Paul described because of where he went to find his peace and because of the promise that his citizenship is actually in heaven. You see, if you know the end of the story, you're not overly concerned about the development of the plot. Say that again. If you know the end of the story, then you're not overly concerned with the development of the plot. That's, that's a great reminder to all of us. But the third way that we can cultivate joy that I want to focus here on is to dwell more on the positives than the negatives. This is hugely important for us. Another way that I like to describe this is to focus more on the joy-filled things that we do have instead of those things that we don't have, that we covet after. Oh, if we could just focus on the positives rather than the negatives, I believe our lives would look very differently. Continuing on in Philippians 4, we're going to go to verse 8 now. Paul says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, and whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I believe that a big key to maintaining a joyful attitude is to focus more on the positives than the negatives. And, and you see this in a lot of areas in life. A growing practice in counseling is to have depressed patients, people that are depressed, develop and write a journal, a separate journal from their normal one. This one is a gratitude journal or something along those lines. But it is a specific tool that counselors are using in, in dealing with depressed patients because instead, instead of persistently dwelling on the negatives, which can cause a patient to spiral downward, they're trained to pull out their journal and write down at least five positive things, things that they're thankful for in life. What that does, the effect that it has, it decreases complaining and lifts one's spirits almost immediately. So, well, what are the implications here with this point? If you're constantly exposing yourself to sitcoms that are cynical, and breed negativity, no wonder you feel negative. If you surf Facebook and obsess over how exciting some people's lives appear to be, you'll probably feel like you drew the short straw in life. You've heard me talk about that before. Uh, sometimes in Facebook, you're looking at other people's highlight reels, the highlight reel of their life, and that's not reality. And you, you, from your perspective, if you focus more on those negatives, you lose the whole perspective on the positives in your own life. If you surround yourself with joyless, negative friends, why are you surprised when joy seems to be waning in your own life? There's a verse outside of Philippians, still one of Paul's writings. Colossians 3.2. It's a simple verse, great memorizing verse. Colossians 3.2. I want you to, to write this down. That text says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. That, there are a few verses that fall into the category of so simple to read and for many of us, so very difficult to live out. Set your mind on the things above, not on earthly things. The implications of that are huge. Sometimes it means that we need to take a fast from those things that pollute our mind and take away our joy. If you're constantly surrounded 
by complainers, by bitter people, by critical associates. You've, you've just got to remove yourself from the situation. You say, but, but hold on, Pastor Mike, that's my work environment, and for many of you it is. But let me make this challenge to you. Let me say this to you. Begin to see, maybe it's your dysfunctional work environment, begin to see that as a missions field. Talk about a game changer. Talk about a paradigm shift. Begin to see even that work environment as your missions field. And just like Joni Erickson Tata that we referenced before, allow God to show your coworkers joy through you. Instead of you being one of those complainers, instead of you feeding off of that negativity from others, allow your coworkers to see that there's something different about you. They can experience joy by the way you live your life as a Christian. There are so many positive things to dwell on. Look for that silver lining in those things. Find joy in the storms of life, people. Uh, I'll tell you about a storm from my life. Many of you have heard about my father uh, that maybe it was a dozen years ago now. My father had a heart attack, and it was a big one. And it was the first time that we had really ever wrestled with this in our, in our family's life and our existence together is something on the level of a, a pretty big heart attack, and it gave our family an enormous scare. I remember being in the hospital that moment. There was nothing joyful about that experience. I had never seen my father in that type of a condition before, and it scared me. It really rattled us to the core. But I can tell you this in a very authentic and a genuine way. There is more joy that came out of that situation than the panic of the moment. Because I remember uh, my father, this isn't a happy memory for him, but I remember my mother afterwards being up in the cupboards of their house, clearing out all the unhealthy food, right? All the, some of you have experienced similar things. I mean, just clearing out all the unhealthy food, and it began to change the way my father lived his life. And talk about a joy-filled moment from that experience. It, it helped all of us as a family to draw closer together. It was a perspective change, because now all of a sudden we didn't take each other for granted, we didn't take our relationships for granted. It, it actually, I'm still working on this one, it actually had a good ripple effect on me because I've come to realize that these uh, cardiac issues are somewhat genetic. So it helped me to change my perspective and try, bear with me, to try to work on a more healthier lifestyle for myself. Out of these horrible moments in life, there can be real joy that we experience if we're looking for it. And that leads me to the fourth and final point today, to rely more on Christ in spite of our own circumstances than our own strength. Christian, people of God, the church of God here, I need you to underline this, highlight this somehow in your notes, to rely more on Christ in spite of your circumstances than ourselves. The reason why I need you to really highlight this one is because this is a common trap that we all fall into from time to time. In our own lives, we stop relying on Christ as the primary source, the primary driver of our lives and the forward momentum that we look to, to live in. And we rely on ourselves, don't we? I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. I am someone who has worked hard to get where they are. I know the way that I'm wired. I know my personality. And we begin to rely more on those things than we do Christ. 
This is a reminder to us, never lose sight of what's important in your life and the forward momentum, the driving force of our lives being Jesus Christ. Continuing on in Philippians 4, we're going to go the second half of verse 11 here, straight through verse 13. Paul is still speaking, and he says, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances, and I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And you can almost see Paul rolling up his sleeves as he finishes this last sentence here. And this is the one that we love to take out of context, but hopefully you understand the larger context here now. It's because of everything he's just said that he says the following words, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. That's his secret. It's reliance on Christ. You see, here's the biggest difference between the joyful person and the joyless person. I believe the joyless person thinks he or she will only be happy if the circumstances line up just the right way. I'll be happy when I get that promotion. I'll be happy when I get that car. I'll be happy when I can afford that house. Some of you have an image in your mind already of what that house is. I'll be happy when I can marry somebody like that. But Paul says, I know what it's like to have everything you need. That's not the secret to happiness. I've learned the secret. It's reliance on Christ. That's the truth. Paul here is trying to teach us how to have joy and contentment on the things that really count He's teaching us that regardless of whether you win or lose, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're famous or obscure, you can still find that joy and contentment. You can do it through Christ, not by your own strength, but through the power of Christ within you. I know it's kind of countercultural to think this way, but ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you to have joy in the hospital waiting room? Be joyful in the unemployment line. Be joyful in your mediocre marriage and even be joyful at the funeral service of a close friend who knew Christ as Lord. Be joyful in those times. It is not only possible, it is expected, not by our own strength, but through Christ within us. Be joyful in those times. You know what an oxymoron is? Many of you are familiar with this term. It's two words that seemingly don't go together but somehow do. An oxymoron, things like jumbo shrimp, right? Partially complete, being alone together. A short sermon. Ah, there it is. That was a delayed reaction, but you're still with me. But let me suggest another one. Another oxymoron is a joyless Christian. I mean, is it really possible to have such a thing? Can someone be a Christ follower and not have the joy of the Lord in them? A Christian's joy is based on an internal relationship with Jesus, never external circumstances. You could say, well, well, hold on, Pastor Mike. I mean, I couldn't become joyful in dire circumstances. That's just not how I'm wired. That's not possible for me. Joni Erickson Tata, that's, she's sort of a one in a million sort of a person. That's not me. I can't do that. 
I'm going to be very transparent with you right now. I know you can't. Neither can I. The truth of the matter is, it is simply unsustainable to live a joy-filled life apart from the Holy Spirit of God at work within you. That's why the text that we've been anchored to in this series is from Galatians 5, and it's talking about what? The fruit of the Spirit, the outpouring of what happens when the Holy Spirit becomes indwelt in your life, and we begin to live that faith. It's possible because of the Holy Spirit within us. I, I want to share with you a story. Uh, as I mentioned before, I was in Massachusetts this past week visiting family and friends. We had a great time. I got, I got some beach time. I didn't get the tan to show it, but I did. I got some good beach time. And part of my visit to Massachusetts was visiting with some friends that I've known for 13, 14 years. It's a, a family that's been close to us. And this husband and wife, they're older than I am. They've got kids that are older, high school, college, and beyond. Uh, 2016 has not been kind to them. A handful of months ago, they realized, the, the wife realized that she was coming down with cancer, and it was an aggressive form of cancer. This has completely changed their family dynamic. She has spent the past 32 days until Thursday at Mass General Hospital in Boston. Um, she's got the greatest care, the greatest doctors in the world there, but she's hurting. And you can tell it has a ripple effect on a family when that happens. The husband, a gentleman that I greatly know and respect, he is just in a different world now, learning all these medical terms that he never knew before, trying to grab hold of a new reality that just doesn't seem possible. And I had the opportunity to spend a couple of hours with them on Thursday. And I got to tell you, I'm not saying, you know, I would never say this in a, in a surface level way. I say this in a very genuine way. There was a joy that defined this family's existence. There was a true joy that came from the Holy Spirit. And you saw it on their faces. She was, she was smiling, not in a forced smile. Oh, gosh, Mike, Mike's here. Let me just put on a good smile for him. There was a genuine joy that defined and there were th at least three reasons, probably more. There were at least three reasons why she had a smile like this. The first one is that she knew and she knows who her God is and how her God has sustained her through this horrible situation that she's going through right now. And that put an instant smile on her face because her faith is that deep. The second reason she was so joyful is because her family was around her. Her husband, who's now learning a whole new language of, of medical terminology and trying to figure out how to really provide and care for his wife in a different way, he was right there by her side every moment of that visit that I spent with them. And their kids had a smile on their face, and the family was really drawn together. What an amazing expression of true joy, a biblical joy that put a smile on her face. And the third reason is because she was finally home instead of in a hospital bed. After 32 days in a hospital, it was the first time that she could really just sort of let herself hang out on her own couch, and that produced some joy in her as well. But I tell you this because when you're going through your own situation in life, your own hardship, Joy is a decision that you make every day despite your circumstances. 
And the Holy Spirit gave this family that level of joy. And they knew it, and they lived it, and it shone through the way they lived their lives. And I was so grateful to spend even a couple of hours with them. The Bible tells us that Satan is a thief, and he's come to steal and to kill and to destroy. Oh, he'd love to steal your joy, and I pray you wouldn't let him. I I don't claim to know your struggles. I, I really don't. I don't know what threatens to rob or to steal your joy, but I can tell you that there is an author and a perfecter of your faith who created you in his image. And he made you in such a way that others would see and sense a spirit of joy within you. And when we show that joy to others, that joy that comes from the Holy Spirit, people can see. They actually can truly see that there's something different about these Jesus followers. Ladies and gentlemen, part of growing up in Christ is understanding that we can't do it on our own. Part of growing up in Christ is understanding we are reliant on him to sustain us in life. Oh, it's easy when every day keeps getting better than the previous one. But when life is a struggle, that's when we need to dig deep and rely on the Holy Spirit who has saved us, who inspires us, who teaches us, who changes our lives. And folks, I gotta tell you, when you do that, when you allow yourself to be changed by God that way, that shines for everyone else to see. I invite you to pray with me right now. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for Jesus Christ. God, thank you for the unspeakable joy that we cannot attain any other way. And God, I pray that you would continue to change our lives, continue to teach us, continue to inspire us, and Lord, continue to help us to see that eternal perspective that you've given us. Lord, we understand how difficult life can be at times and the real struggles that are here. Lord, I want to pray your Holy Spirit would guide those. You would guide us, not around them, but through those struggles. And even in the midst of pain, would you provide us with an unspeakable joy so that the rest of the world can see that we truly are different. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.